invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the Old Testament book of Joel. It's a small book, uh, right after the book of Daniel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Feel free to look that up in your Bible for a page number in the front if you don't know how to get there because it's not one that we turn to often, but it is a rich book with a lot of truth for us today. In the book of Joel, we started out by seeing the prophet record for us a God-sized issue that the people of Israel faced. And that God-sized issue, that kind of issue that it becomes apparent that we can't fix it in and of ourselves, that God-sized issue for Israel at the time was wave after wave after wave of locusts that totally annihilated the land. Then the prophet in verses 15 and 20 of chapter 1 said, that's just a signal. That is a signal of even a greater trial that is coming, a judgment. And this judgment is actually from the hand of the Lord. It is discipline from him. And we saw in verse 15, the prophet Joel say, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. And that name of God there was Shaddai, that that name of God that talks about him being powerful. He's powerful enough to keep his promises, and he's powerful enough to discipline his people. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the prophet continues to talk about this upcoming day of the Lord. And we see in verse 20 that most likely this is an army that will come from the north and invade Israel, most likely at the time of the writing of the book of Joel. This was an imminent discipline from God. How should God's people react? When it becomes apparent that they are experiencing God's discipline. That's really the question that Joel is asking the people of Israel and answers for Israel. It's a question that Joel the prophet will summarize for us in verses 12 through 17 this morning. On the proper heart response to God's discipline. We know what it's like as a parent or a grandparent. Well, more of a parent. I haven't figured out the grandparent thing in disciplining. And our Heavenly Father disciplines us just like an earthly parent would discipline their children. How should we respond to the Father's discipline? Look with me at Joel chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 12 down through verse 17, and you can follow along in your copy of the Scripture. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. 
and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O God. And do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they, why should they among the people say, where is their God? So the prophet has given a warning, a warning from God. They have just faced this God-sized issue. To which the prophet says, that's just the beginning. God is bringing discipline upon us as a nation. Which leads the prophet in these verses to help us understand what the believer's response should be when it becomes apparent that we are facing discipline from the Father. Every year, my wife Barbara and I are invited to several banquets here in the city. Because I'm one of the pastors at Faith Bible Church, we are invited to many of the Christian nonprofit banquets. And we try to attend as many as we can. I have a little secret on how to survive banquets. Now, we all know that the purpose of the banquet is really twofold. It is to help cast vision for what that ministry is doing in the city, and it is to help raise funds for that nonprofit. But they also serve a meal. And if you've been to these like I have, you know that the meals usually are not stellar. You don't probably get on TripAdvisor and write about the meal. It's usually a piece of chicken breast with some sprigs of asparagus with some small potatoes with maybe a little sauce on them. Now, I have learned how to work this. There's 800 people getting the same meal, and we all know that they can't come up with 800 pieces of hot chicken breast all at the same time. So, there's probably some of those plates that have been there a while waiting to be served. So I always order vegetarian. Now, my wife is appalled at that. She says, you're not a vegetarian. I said, I'm not claiming to be a vegetarian. I want a nice meal at the banquet. And there's probably only like six people that will order vegetarian. So they're going to make those six vegetarian plates right before the event starts. And every time I order vegetarian and my food comes out, everyone at the table says, whoa, 
how did you get that? Well, I ordered vegetarian. And my wife kind of puts her eyes down to the ground and and because she knows in her heart that I'm about the furthest from a vegetarian that anybody knows. I really enjoy meat, but I also enjoy good food. So I can align with the vegetarian lifestyle temporarily so that I can enjoy my meal to make the banquet more of an enjoyable experience. Now, next time one of the banquets happens, they will get 600 orders of for vegetarian, and I'll have to have the chicken. Now, the prophet Joel here is going to make something clear. He wants Israel to align their lifestyles back with God. But he doesn't want them just to appear to align their lifestyles back with God so that something good will happen to them. In other words, he's not looking for a one-evening vegetarian. He wants Israel all in. He is asking for their whole heart. He is asking for Israel to return to him with every aspect of their being. It's just not something on the outside to benefit them. It's a literal return to the Lord. And that's what we find here in verses 12 through 17. We're going to begin looking at just the first three verses, 12 through 14. And Joel is not only going to issue the Lord's call to Israel to return to him, but he's going to tell them why believers should because of the very character of God. Notice with me verse 12. He is just shared that this devastating army, is its, its arrival is imminent. It's coming. But then he says, but yet even now, even now, after I've told you that discipline is coming, there's a response that the Lord is looking for you from you, looking to you from you. And here's the response. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Now, what the Lord's talking about here is repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance is not used here in verse 12. But when the Lord says, return to me, the concept of repentance is here. He wants Israel to change course. Right now, Israel is walking away from the Lord. They're doing what they want to do. They're living how they want to live. They're ignoring God. And because they're ignoring God and they're sinning against him, God is going to discipline them. Just like sometimes in our lives, if we really take time to think, we can say, you know what? 
I think God's trying to get my attention. And what the, Lord call, what the Lord's call is to Joel is return to me. Change the course of your life and come back to me. And he's not just asking for them to return to him for a moment. Periodically. Just to avert this imminent discipline. No, he says, return to the Lord, excuse me, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, weeping, and mourning, with those, often we see those terms used in the Old Testament demonstrating humility. And then he says this, rend your heart, not your garments. Remember in the Old Testament when you'd see someone mourning, someone in anguish, someone hurting, oftentimes they would tear their clothes to demonstrate just the level of, of brokenness that is there. And here the prophet relays this word from the Lord that he's not looking for outward contrition. He's not looking for some kind of aligning with him that's really not heartfelt. He actually says, if you're going to tear something, tear your heart. Rend your heart. Genuinely change the course of your life and come back to me. And then the prophet tells us why we should. And it's rooted in the very character of God. Because we can always come back to him. It says here, for, or because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That Hebrew word translated gracious there, which means grace or kind or merciful. It's the same word that's used in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 when Jonah says, I don't want to go to those Ninevites and, and preach repentance to them because I know what's going to happen. You're going to forgive them because you are a gracious and compassionate God. And I don't, want to, I, I don't want to see them forgiven. That's what Jonah's heart was. Jonah's words in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. And Joel's words here in Joel chapter 2 verse 13. All hearken back to Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7. And clear back in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we have the account where Moses went up on Mount Sinai to record the law. And while he was gone, the people of Israel became impatient. They thought, well, our leader must have died. We need a new God. And they all took their gold necklaces and jewelry and they made a molten idol out of that gold. And God declared that he was just going to wipe out the people of Israel. And Moses interceded on behalf of the people. And it tells us in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, it says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, referring to Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, 
compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You see, God's character is what allows his people to continue to come back to him. Even when we knowingly sin against him, he always welcomes us back into his presence. Just as Joel tells the people of Israel, we've got to return to the Lord. Why? Because he will accept us. He's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in loving kindness. And that Hebrew word, loving kindness, is that very special Hebrew word, chesed. It's that word that means that God is always loyal to his people. He's loyal in his love. He's always faithful to his promises. And Jonas, or excuse me, Joel says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent. You see, in verse 13, Joel says that God is a God who sometimes relents from calamity. Who knows, maybe he will relent if we confess and come back and repent from our sin, and start walking toward the Lord again, maybe he will relent and this northern army will be averted. He doesn't say it's automatic. He's not going to presume upon God's grace. But he says we have a compassionate, loving, merciful, gracious God. I grew up in a home where my father was a pastor for a few years, and then he worked at a Christian college. So I was around the Bible my whole life, heard the gospel at my kitchen table hundreds of times. And yet I didn't want anything to do with it. And so I just kind of pushed it away and pushed it away until... Uh, late grade school age, I couldn't push it away anymore, and I trusted Christ. But after I trusted Christ, I didn't really seek after Jesus. I, I didn't really have a passion to grow in my life. And when I got into high school, I was not a model kid. In fact, uh, people who knew our family, always thought my brother would be a pastor. He just looked like he should be a pastor. Not me. And one time my wife met one of my mother's friends, and she was introduced as my wife, and this lady kind of like felt sorry for Barbara. And she said, well, what does he do now? And Barbara said, well, he's a pastor. And I think Barbara felt like she was going to have to get the pads out and say clear and, and uh, give her a heart shock. Um, but uh, I just wasn't excited about anything to do with the Lord in high school. In my junior year, I was just being a real pill. 
And I would go to our Sunday school class in the morning at our church, and I was just disruptive. In fact, a buddy of mine from high school had just put his trust in Christ and started coming to the class, and I knew I was actually hurting that kid. And what happened was, without any outside influence, I just really came under the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, because I was a Christian, I had the Spirit of God dwelling within me. And I just became extremely convicted about my attitude. And so I, told, I decided to get into my pickup, and my Sunday school teacher lived out in the country, and I drove out to where he lived, and I said, I want to talk to him, and he and his wife sat down with me. And I basically said, I'm, I've been wrong, I've, I've sinned against you, I've been disruptive, and I want to ask your forgiveness. And he looked at me and said, your parents just made you come here, didn't they? And, uh, and I don't think my, I don't, if I remember correctly, I hadn't even told my parents what I was doing. And, uh, and I said, no, I, I just felt like I needed to come. And, and basically, he did not accept me. And I had really been a pill, so it doesn't surprise me. But I came with a repentant heart, and he kind of pushed me away. Do you know what Joel is saying here? He's saying that will never happen with God. Never. Does it make any difference? How rebellious we have been in our heart. He will never push us away. Never. And so even if we find that we're under the discipline of the Lord, we can always come to him. Always. We talked a week or two ago about, you know, when we hit these times of real hardship, it's either swift hardship or it just seems like it'll never end. It's, it's important for us to just take pause and, and spend some time in prayer and just analyze and ask the Spirit of God, is there an area in my life that you're trying to get my attention in? Have I sinned against you? And I guarantee if we have, he will reveal that to us. But sometimes, you know, it's not, that's not it. I mean... We see an example in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, in Rev um, 3, verse 19, that, and we'll look at that a little later, that it, sometimes it is sin. But sometimes the Lord is just letting us go through these times of swift or extensive hardship because he just wants to build endurance in us, like James chapter 1 talks about it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Or sometimes we, we're going through these really tough times because the Lord wants to use us as his tool to allow Jesus' life to shine through us in a very dark place. And there's no better time for people to see Jesus lived out in a life than when things are going bad, quote-unquote bad. Because when things are going good, of course everyone's going to just say, hey, he's got a great life. Why wouldn't he be going, doing good? But when things are going bad, it's an opportunity for Christ's life to shine in and through you. 
But when we do come to that point in our lives where we say, you know what? I, I haven't been really walking with the Lord like I should. I've allowed this area of sin to kind of take root in my life, or I've just been lackadaisical in my love for him. And I think he is trying to get my attention, just like Israel here. What's a proper response? It's the same response that Joel says here. The Lord says, return to me. Well, how do I do that as a Christian? Well, the first thing that we have to do, it talks about it in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we go to God in prayer and we just say the same thing to him that he says about us. I've sinned. I recognize that this is sin. One of the things that I have been doing in my own personal Christian walk is thinking about 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And when I go to the Lord in confession, I think about this verse. This is my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I've been trying to meditate on that verse because what that verse is saying is that my access to the Father solely rests in the Son. And it's because of the Son's presence with the Father that I can even approach the Father. And it's because of the Son that I can come to him in confession and the Son had to die for me. And normally I think the model in Scripture is for us to address our prayers to the Father. But it periodically, sometimes, I will just talk to Jesus and I will just confess that I personally sent him to the cross. And, and I will confess that I, because of my sin, it required his advocacy before the Father. His very presence before the Father is telling the Father, I died for Steve's sin. And just think about that and dwell on that in the process of confessing my sin. And then we need to do what Joel talks about here, and then let's actually turn from it. Remember Romans chapter 6, verse 1, when the Apostle Paul says, hey, should I just sin a whole bunch more so that I can experience a whole bunch more of God's grace? And Paul says, no way, may it never be. How shall you who died to sin still live in it? And then he talks about the fact that as a Christian, at the moment I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I don't have to sin. I'm not bound to my sin nature. It has no control over me. And he says in Romans 6, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Meaning I have to preach to myself and say, I don't have to do this. I don't have to sin. I don't have to lose my temper in this particular situation. I don't have to worry about this particular situation. I don't have to try to act like God and take on all of this by myself. All of these different traps that we fall into. So we're asking the question, how do I return to the Lord? 
we confess our sin, then we, in a sense, have to consider ourselves dead to that sin. I don't have to do that anymore. And then I think it's important for us to express our dependence on the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We can't live the Christian life on our own. It requires the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. Romans 8 and 9 tells us every Christian has the Spirit. It requires the spirits of working in and through us so that Jesus Christ's life is replicated through us. And so what I try to do on a moment-by-moment moment, moment basis throughout the day is just talk to God and say, Holy Spirit, please control me. And if I'm feeling like I need the Spirit's control in my life at a particular moment, I, just, I do that throughout the day. Please fill me with your Spirit. Control me right now. Help me to respond in a Christ-like way. And so when we return to the Lord, we confess our sin. We realize we don't have to sin. Then we express our dependence on the Lord to enable us not to sin. And then I think another good thing for us always to keep in mind is this. Don't park near sin. If there's a particular men, if you struggle with your eye gate in what you are looking at or thinking about, don't park yourself near sin. If you need to get rid of your internet, get rid of your internet. If you need to get rid of cable TV, get rid of cable TV. We don't park next to it. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to man. And God is faithful, who will provide a way of escape. We don't escape it by parking next to it. Here, the Lord is saying to Israel, I want you to come back to me. I want you to return to me. You see, I'm sending this discipline because I'm trying to get your attention and just as Israel is challenged here, we can be challenged too. How do I respond when I really believe that I'm being disciplined from the Lord? In fact, remember the New Testament tells us if we're not being disciplined by the Lord, it, at times it means that we're like an illegitimate child. What dad doesn't discipline his child? Our Heavenly Father disciplines us. How do I respond? I confess my sin and I start walking toward him again. Well, in verses 15 through 17, this is really a unique passage of Scripture because the Lord is saying that as a nation, Israel is guilty. The entire nation is guilty of sin. This is a corporate call to repentance. Notice with me, verse 15 goes back to these themes earlier in the book. Remember, we talk about the book of Joel is almost like a telescope. It just keeps unfolding and unfolding and unfolding with more detail. And some of it is, has just happened. Some of it's probably going to happen. And as we see as the book unfolds, some of it's yet to come. And so what Joel does is he goes back and takes little snippets just reminding us this is all unfolding like a telescope. So when we look at verse 15, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Well, where have I seen that before? 
Down in chapter 2, verse 1, blow a trumpet in Zion. When we look at verse 15, it says, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Where have I seen that? Chapter 1, verse 14. In 1, 14, it says, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. And then he says this, get everybody together. Gather the people. Why is Joel to gather the people because all of the people stood guilty before God. And so he calls them all to renewed holiness. That word holy is kind of an interesting word. It's a word group. Sometimes it's the form of the word is translated consecrate, as we see here. Sometimes it's the word sanctify. It's all in this holiness word group. And to be holy means simply to be set apart for God's use only. That's why when they built the tabernacle and later the temple, those articles of, that were used in religious worship inside the tabernacle and temple were considered holy, meaning you couldn't use this golden goblet to go out and, and use it to wash your dishes. It's only for God's use, set apart only for him. And so here, we're, we're, Joel says, consecrate a fast, meaning set apart just for God as a nation to come before him in fasting and prayer. And then he says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, meaning all of Israel as a nation needs to return to the Lord. They need to be a set-apart people only for God's use. And no one is exempt. That's why he says here in verse 16, um, you get the elders, the older, I think here it's used very generally, talking about the older people of Israel, the children, even the nursing infants, even the honeymooners. I was really impressed last week. I can't remember who it was in our church family, but and many of you probably did this on your honeymoon. If you got married on Saturday, you went to church on Sunday morning. I skipped. I'm sorry, I did. But here, this couple, this couple, just say they got married on Saturday, and Sunday they have to, they're supposed to go to this holy convocation of people. No one's exempt, not even the honeymooners. Everybody has to be there. Why? Because everybody's guilty before the Lord. And then Joel calls upon the priests to call out to the Lord and confess for their sin as a nation and ask the Lord to spare them from his discipline. Why? So that his character will be lifted up. If you look at verse 17, it says, and let them say, the priests, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? We don't want all of our neighboring nations to look at your people and say, well, he's not a faithful God. Look what everything they're going through. So for your very character, we are asking you to forgive this people. You see, Joel is asking Israel to come back to him corporately. I grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Not a nice place, but it was home. 
Near Council Bluffs is a little town called Carter Lake. Probably not many of you have been to Carter Lake. Probably no one is from there. But Carter Lake has a very interesting background. In 1860, excuse me, in 1877, the Missouri River changed course. And it actually left Carter Lake on the wrong side of the river, meaning the Nebraska side. And so, you know, all these years, Carter Lake's been on the correct side of the river, and then the river changes, and oh my stars, they're stuck in Nebraska. And so, there became this fight over Carter Lake for years. And not because they wanted Carter Lake, but they wanted the taxes. And uh, in 1930, Carter Lake formally became an incorporated town in Iowa. You see, as a collective group, they identified with Iowa. What a good choice they made. As a collective group, here Joel is speaking for the Lord saying, as a nation Israel, return to me. We see examples in the New Testament, for example, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. This is the message to the church at Laodicea. That's the church that said, you know, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You're just, you're, you're really not seeking after me. And at verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So sometimes God actually calls upon a local church to repent. But certainly, all of us who make up the, the local church all of us need to be serious about our walks with the Lord. And when we ever sense that we are experiencing his discipline, it's a call to us. It's a call to return. It's a call to confess our sin. It's a call to say, I know I need to be set apart solely for you. Holy for you consecrated for you. My life needs to point only to you. And remember, Joel says, we can always come because we have a God who's gracious, who has loyal love, chesed for us. And all he asks of us is to come to him out of a genuine heart. Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for the reminder in them of the need to take stock, to evaluate. And if we sense that we are experiencing your hand of discipline to return to you, we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and loving kindness who never turns your people away. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and, and if you don't know if you even have a relationship with the Lord, 
I would encourage you to come back to our prayer room immediately after the service. One of our elders will be there and can give you some material that you can take home and look up in your old Bible. Verses that assure you how you know you can be in right with him. Or maybe you're going through a God-sized issue. I encourage you to go back and spend some time in prayer.